Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, hey, where you been? Buckeye Talk is about to begin Hey, 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 come on in Welcome back to your game preview Buckeye Talk It's Ohio State Northwestern on Saturday in Evanston. Doug Maurice, Nathan Baird, Stephen Means. We will all be there. By the way, TSU out this week with the flu, hammered by the flu. So we are not doing a separate gambling podcast this week. We typically, have, well, not typically, we have been dropping two podcasts in our Buckeye Talk feed every Friday. Nathan, Stephen, and I preview the game, talk about Ohio State football, what players and coaches are saying. We do that here. And then TSU and I look at it from a gambling perspective. So we'll talk a scooch more gambling on this show, but we'll just let Tissue get healthy and then we'll be back with betting the Buckeyes next week. But like we often like to do, this game's going to stink and it's going to rain and it's going to be windy and it's going to tell us nothing and that we don't already know. So like, anyway, I mean, you guys know that we do have a couple things we want to bring up uh, about this game and the weather might be the most interesting thing. And I know Ryan Day, Nathan did talk about that on Thursday, right? Like on the radio show, on the lightning round, like it seems like they're battening down the hatches. What what did Ryan Day say about the projected forecast? Yeah, I was trying to look at the forecast and, and he made a good point that, hey, it's a Midwest. You can't look too far out in advance, but it certainly looks like it's going to be not just rainy, but also windy. Like I saw one forecast ca- calling for maybe up to like 40 mile per hour gusts in the Evanston area on Saturday. So that obviously can wreak havoc with a passing game. And I think the wind is, is more important than the rain in that regard. So just another reemphasis of the, A, the running game, that how important that's going to be to maybe get that reestablished. I think I already kind of thought this would be a week where they would maybe try to do that because they're probably tired of hearing about it the last couple of weeks. And this is a, an opponent where maybe they could come out and reestablish some force in the running game. But also bringing up the, hey, we, we practice for this. They practice in the elements. They've been doing wet ball drills this week, um, things like that. So th- they do try to account for this. It's not all like they play in, uh, practice in perfect conditions year round and are caught off off guard and, and both teams have to do it. So uh, it, it, I don't know, it depends on how, how you want to look at it. Is it something where when there's a big talent disparity, the talent's going to win out anyway, or does this mess help um, the team that's less talented close the gap a little bit because of the conditions. I don't know, but I don't know that no, it's going to make know. it. It is not yeah, closing any gap. Make a, no, I mean, it's not going to make a significant stinks. difference. It's not going to make a significant difference on Saturday. 
Stroud threw all over Indiana last year, and that was basically a monsoon the entire time he was in there. So we've seen this before. But also, they did say that just ironically enough, it's been windy around the Woody this week. So they just naturally got a chance to prepare for this. They didn't really have to make shift it with like fans and stuff. Now, the wet balls, yes, there wasn't balls ahead in the quarterbacks. With fans? Like have fans know, blowing I, the ball? Maybe. Who knows? That'd be a pretty the, strong fan. Uh, who knows? I mean, those fans are pretty big, man. And they do a lot of listen. They do a lot of good work in the summertime when we're out there at those day camps. But yeah, it's been windy this week, so it's kind of helped them prepare for what might happen on Saturday. One it's still going to be a blowout. It's just going to be game yes, script, yes, like how high state goes about it. Just to be clear, if you're Northwestern is awful, they have like two players and. No offense to the rest of the Northwestern roster. I'm sure they're trying their very best. This is a terrible football team that has been playing terrible. And um, it's just about how they go about it. The interesting thing is you have to get – the thing that matters with the rain is Northwestern is a grass field. So, like, mm-hmm. rain on turf is different than rain on grass. Yep. So, like, Ohio State games at home that have rained, the reference point – I know Bo Bishop – from 97.1, the fan of Columbus was asking about this. Like, when's the last time Ohio State played the mud? The one that sticks out for me, and I couldn't remember the game, but I had to look it up, was 2006. They had a game that was, like, so bad it tore up the field, and it's kind of like why Ohio State went to field turf. In 2007, it was the Penn State game, and they won that game 28-6. to They had two pick sixes in that game. Troy Smith was 12 for 22 for 115 yards and two interceptions. In that game, that was the game where like Joe Paterno had to leave, and then he was in the like in the locker room for a couple quarters because he had the flu. So it was like a weird game, but like it it did have an effect. Those the teams combined the total yardage in that game: Penn State two forty eight, Ohio State two fifty three. Ohio State ran fifty one plays in that game. It's like a difference, like medieval times practically. But again, they had two pick sixes, so that reduced it. So it's just trying to find things where you have an effect in the win game that sticks in my mind, I guess is it's at Michigan state. I think it was 16 where JT Barrett was talking about balls blowing sideways. I think it was a 17, 16 game. It was like, you, you could see, but there were like banana angles on throws. So to your point, Nathan, I do think the wind in the passing game is even more in effect, but also yes, Ohio state's played in the rain. It's going to be muddy because it's yeah. grass. So like there's, I do think there's going to be a double whammy potentially on Saturday. I think the forecast I saw 25 to 30 mile per hour winds gusting up to 40 and a 60% chance of rain. So it sounds like you're going to get hit with both. Yeah. I also think though, that the, 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 the benefit here, the test might be just broader than that, that I, Steven brings up a good point about Indiana, but let's also remember like the kind of the adverse conditions of the Michigan game last year. And maybe Ohio state didn't necessarily handle that among the things that didn't handle well that day. I was talking to Dewan Jones about the Penn state game. Cause I wanted to ask him about the, the things Ryan day had been talking about as far as the false starts and the uh, delay of games and stuff like that. And Dewan Jones's perspective was, you know, actually I didn't think it was that bad because the last time we were in that situation, it was worse with the last year when it was Michigan and it was the hostile environment and the crowd, like we didn't win that game. Like, so at Penn State, they found a way to win the game despite all that. And I think that this is a much different environment, obviously. And the, the talent situation is not – didn't say talent equated. The talent situation, <laughs> the talent disparity is obvious between Ohio State and Northwestern right now. But as this team is trying to, like, kind of build its mental muscles for the, the, the end of the season, these tests at the end of the season, maybe getting in a really sloppy game and, and winning it could be – could be beneficial. Uh, by the way, it's very temperate at Evanston right now. So it's not going to be cold and rainy and windy. It's just going to be rainy and windy mm-hmm. and and potentially sloppy and weird. 
So just get that. And we'll get to this later. But point of reference, the over-under, the total for this game opened at 61.5, and and it's down to 55.5. And And that is completely because of the forecast. So keep that in mind. Like, everybody is preparing for this. Nathan, Denzel Burke spoke with the folks, came out, had an interview session on Wednesday night. It had been something that had not happened, right, this year. Um, And this is a guy who had a tremendous freshman year, saved Ohio State at the cornerback position in a lot of ways a year ago, has battled injuries this season, has not played his best, and had to come out. Not had to. You can always avoid it. Did come out and talked about it. So credit to Denzel Burke for doing that. What was that interview session like? And and I don't know what his schedule was the previous week, but he was – scheduled to meet with us and didn't. So it might've been, I don't know if he had to go somewhere or if he just decided not to come last week, but he did come this week. And I thought that was important. I'd been requesting him for a while because everybody else is talking about Denzel Burke. He should get to talk about himself. He should get to interject his own thoughts into this. And two things stood out to me. Number one was him going into the extent of the injuries he dealt with the shoulder injury. I asked now, was that something that, because we knew something maybe had come up late last season and he said no that wasn't it it was something that happened in the off season and that he thinks he had the fewest reps in the off season of everybody in the cornerback room so it's already a really young room and you're taking the the guy who you expect to be the best at the start of the year and he's not getting to have a full off season of preparation and then the finger thing sounded pretty gruesome he didn't give an exact diagnosis of what it was you know, but it was so he said the joint tore off the bone. He'd reached in to smack a ball away in practice. He tried to he wanted to play against Wisconsin. That's why he was down there with the uh, the club, as he called it. But the, the the pain was just too much. And he's still managing the pain a little bit. But he says the soldier, the shoulder is fine. And now that he's getting to practice regularly and has built up a few weeks that he thinks he's you're seeing a, a better consistency in his play. But the other thing I wanted to find out, too, was like, listen, you were a very confidence-forward player last year. You showed up with a ton of confidence despite not being a a, a guy who even played cornerback very much and not being like the highest-ranked recruit on the roster in that class and still showed up like day one with a ton of confidence. How did you handle that during the the struggles? And, you know, as much as you as you would probably expect Denzel Burke to respond was like, no, nah, like I... I'm st- I still know how good I am. I still know what I can do for this team, and I'm eager to go prove it. So it w- it was sort of the same. Even if the pl- the play on the field from Denzel Burke hasn't been the same, the conversation with Denzel Burke was very much the conversation we've been having with him for two years now. That's saying a lot that he said he had the le- least amount of reps, given the fact that there was another cornerback who hasn't played Basically, I mean, Cameron Brown's missed a lot of time, too, and Jordan Hancock missed the whole first first half of the season. So that's saying a lot that those two were probably missing a lot of time, too, so that shows you just how much time Denzel Burke was out. Well, but just to clarify, I think he was talking about the offseason. I don't don't know if – I can't remember if he was folding the preseason into that, which is where Hancock would have definitely come in and and Brown, too, a little bit. But I think he meant maybe sort of like – prior to August. But but yes, I mean it it just it emphasizes how much that room has been missing not just bodies and Ryan Day was talking about that today. He was asked about how it's November and they still haven't had their full secondary healthy, even just their full cornerback room healthy. And you know, he was talking about the how frustrating that can be as a coach, but that 
it's it's really those practice reps. And Jordan Hancock was talking about this too, not to jump ahead of a topic I'm sure you were about to get to, Doug, but about how this whole experience has taught him how important practice is. Because when you can't do it and you're not getting better as a player, you feel it. So Hancock also was out Wednesday night, right? So that's what you're talking about. And again, this practice, is like, yes. this is everybody, like if this cornerback group rounds into, hey, you know, who knows what's going to happen with Cam Brown, but... You know, J.K. Johnson had a rough game against Penn State uh, in his own right. And now maybe here comes Jordan Hancock and Denzel Burks getting some stuff back. Steven, like it's we've talked about this group a lot, you know, deservedly so. But there's a chance, right, Steven? Like there's a chance that they'll be better at the end of the year than they were in the first half of the year. Yeah, because if Denzel's not worried about injuries as much, he can focus on his play. And it's already his play has already trended up in the right direction these last couple of weeks here. So he's already sort of doing that stuff. And as Jim Knowles mentioned, George Hancock had been on like a pitch count. And as the season progresses, the season progresses, you'll see that raise into the point that we we talked about it before. What if this guy ends up a starting corner and ends up taking somebody's job? Now, the way Denzel Burke's starting to play, it doesn't seem like that's going to be there. So now we're looking at Cam Brown, especially if he's still not ready to go and, and healthy to go on Saturday. Can Jordan Hancock start to steal reps and eventually steal a starting job and raise the level of that cornerback room, along with the fact that because of this, of so many injuries, J.K. Johnson got a lot of reps the first six, seven, wait eight weeks of the season here. So yeah, it, it can only go up and it looks like it's already headed in that direction. Now guys getting healthy helps that. By the way, Jordan Hancock, to clarify, called it a hamstring injury that he had dealt with. We had always been calling it lower leg injury because it hadn't been specified. I think we'd even thought that it looked like it might be a calf thing at one point, just because of the way that we had seen him have something like wrapped after practice. But I thought it was interesting that he said, Somebody had asked him about being out, and he intimated that he had been practicing for a while, and it didn't feel that he felt better, but that they were keeping him out of games as a precaution because of wanting to avoid the risk of re-injury. And I just thought that that was an interesting contrast considering what they've gone through with Jackson Smith and Jigba. So just as a point of information for last week, Denzel Burke, 76 snaps. A 72 coverage grade on PFF. J.K. Johnson, 47 snaps. A 49 coverage grade on PFF. Jordan Hancock, 31 snaps. And a 56 coverage grade on PFF. So that is basically Denzel Burke the whole game and Johnson and Hancock splitting it with a slight edge to J.K. Johnson. But Nathan, just like Jordan Hancock feeling better, like and getting on... Like like ready to kind of put his best self forward is what he's saying. Yeah, and and you know he now he has two games of real reps, especially the second game. It was like I think he played like fifteen reps against Iowa and then basically doubled that against Penn State. And now you're starting to play enough reps where they can give you a good critique in the film. And he was talking a lot about discipline, about how he uses his eyes and some of those things that maybe until you're back in repping in a true game situation doesn't get tested as much as it does in practice against familiar guys. So it, as we've speculated all along, I think the door is open for him to not just keep building to a bigger role, but to maybe at some point be the guy who's lining up across from Denzel Burke to start that game. Double-checked, you're right. 15 versus Iowa, 31 versus Penn State. Those are his 46 snaps so far this season. So to double it, that that's meaningful. Um, Steven, my call story by you up 
on Thursday morning at cleveland.com slash OSU. We would direct people to that. You've been interviewing a lot of different people about that. And then you got to talk to Mike Hall on Wednesday night. Just what what, what struck you about that conversation with Mr. Hall? And, uh, and what kind of things can people look forward to when they read that story? He's a really mature kid, and I, whether it was talking with his mom, Linda, talking with his coach, Pete, even talking with Coach Mick, or even talking with him, it was very obvious that he was very frustrated last season that, you know, I mean, this is a top 50 recruit. He's watching JT, who showed up in the summer doing what he's doing. Jack's having his moments to flash. Even Talik is having his moments to flash. Meanwhile, Mike Hall's just kind of working in the background and he's kind of dominating on scout team and whatnot, but not really getting the same opportunities to do so on game days. He actually, he, we were talking about after the Michigan state game, when he had the conversation with a uh, coach Jay, that this is your last game. You're not going to see you anymore this year because we don't want to burn your red shirt. And he was not necessarily frustrated with coach Jay, but he was frustrated with himself because he felt like maybe I wasn't doing enough to put myself in a position to do what some of these other guys were doing to, to set themselves up for, for the future, which is why, you know, it was kind of a, it wasn't a reach, but it was an interesting thing when Mike Hall picked him as a, as a guy who was driving the bus for, because we just hadn't seen it yet. We hadn't seen proof of it yet. And we hadn't even had the conversation with Kevin Wilson yet, where he'd gone, that guy's the most talented three we'd ever seen. And coach Jay's going, that guy's not a three. So he entered January coming back from, he said the Rose Bowl practices is, is, was, that's typically when you see young guys start to flash, but he took that seriously. He took every rep he got during those Rose Bowl practices seriously. And he kind of launched himself into an off season where he transformed his body. He improved as a, as a player, both in like his skill work and his overall athleticism. And then it started showing up in fall camp. It started showing up over the summer. And then we all got to see it against Notre Dame and so forth. And so, I think the big takeaway from it was his progression as an Ohio State football player is very similar to what he did when he arrived at Streetsboro High School as a sophomore, where the first year was kind of rough. And then the second year, it's like, oh, this team's really, really good. And then the third year was just off to the moon. It's the same thing for him as a player, eh, as a true freshman. And now as a redshirt freshman, second year guy, it's like, oh, this dude's the first of those defensive linemen to prove himself to be an alpha dog. And they're calling him baby Aaron Donald. So what does that mean when we get into year three and then in wherever beyond when he goes after that? Because it's very obvious that everybody saw the talent. They just needed it to pop. And so now that it's popped, he's kind of off to the races here. Nathan, did you have inside info on my call when you got, when you bought that bus? (laughs) Um, You were so so bussy. You were so bus. You were, you were just, you were just all over it. And as Steven said, like we had, it had, we had not seen it certainly on the field last year well if you guys have taught me anything it's never to uh that, that to, to know when to kind of lean into rankings and there was a situation here where you had a guy who maybe people have forgotten was as highly ranked as he was who i where where i also thought there was an opportunity they needed better play on the interior defensive line we didn't know if Teron vincent was going to take some kind of a step we kind of thought maybe that someone like Jerron Cage, who is a useful rotational player, was probably not better than that. So there just seemed like there was an opportunity for someone to – I will say this. When I drove the bus for him, I was not expecting this destination, right? You know what no. I mean? Like I thought it was going to be a pleasant ride. I thought maybe we were going to uh, Chuck E. Cheese, not Disney World. Mm. That's how much – wow, the Mike Hall season is like going to Disney World. 
that relates that's a new perspective on me i even have more respect for my call now um so that's, that's, that's good. so we would we we would direct you to cleveland.com slash OSU where you can read the full Stephen Means story on Mike Hall Jr. Did Tyleek Williams come out Wednesday night? Yeah. He did. Did anyone talk to Tyleek? Who talked to Tyleek? I didn't talk to him while he was sitting down because yeah. I was talking to the defensive tackle who's actually been flashing this year yeah. pretty much the entire interviews. But I did like pull him to the side at one point because I wanted to have a conversation with him about – something I saw in the Michigan state game where he like ran onto the field and got janked right back off of it. Kind of similar to how we saw with Kayvon Pope and stuff. He didn't throw a temper chance in the same way Kayvon Pope did, but he was frustrated. And he even had tweeted out after that game, like free 91. There was some clear frustration from him to start the season because he wasn't necessarily getting the reps that maybe we even we would have thought he would have gotten early on into the season. The, the 29 he played against Penn state are the second most he's played in his career, I believe. And we saw what he did with him, but there was some time and we were just having a normal conversation about like, yeah, I was pretty frustrated early on because I wasn't playing as much, but he's kind of turned that more and kind of the same thing with my call. It's like, instead of getting frustrated about why you're not playing, figure out like how much of that is in your control and do that. And if it's working for my call, it can start working for Talik Williams as well. Now he played a career high snaps against Penn State because the whole defense played a season high snaps against Penn State. They had to yes. play eighty snaps, so everybody's yeah. snaps, not all of the reserves' snaps went up, but certainly all of the main guys' snaps went up in this game. I wrote about this earlier this week when I was posting our depth chart, and so that that is good perspective here too. But also he, from the conversation that I was able to listen to later, there there is some recognition there of yes, being frustrated, but also kind of steering into the, I need to be more consistent in practice. There are things I need to be better at. And listen, what Larry Johnson talked about this, I believe earlier this year um, about how much more consistent he needed to be in the run game, especially, you know, yes, he got the big sack on Saturday, but the play of the game for him was getting that fourth down stop on the run and how he read it. He actually told a really fun story about like Penn state came up to the line. They were, um, they had called a play and then the quarterback Clifford uh, changed the play. And when he changed the play, he noticed the offensive lineman looked the other way. And so he knew the play was coming at him or that it would be coming past him. So he knew if he just blew up his guy, that it would be like right there in the backfield for him to take. And then he went and did it. I, that, that to me was a, a big maturation step for a young player. I love stories like that. Gosh, I love stories like that. Like the little inside things of like a thing that you see and it's like, yep, here you come and then you do it. So credit to Tyler Williams for that. Again, Ryan Day has not been shy about saying we need a little more from Tyler Williams in practice. We need a little more from Tyler Williams in his conditioning. And, and again, I think the reason they do that is because they know how good he can be. And so when you hear that stuff, and, and again, they don't do it with everybody, but when you're great, sometimes they tamp you down. When they think you can be great and you're not there, I think they sometimes are very willing to challenge you publicly. And I don't think it's calling mm-hmm. somebody out, but it's to say, and again, small sample size. We talked about that a lot in the offseason. You know, some PFF and everybody's like, Tyler Williams is going to be the, it's like small sample size, second mm-hmm. halves, blowouts, right? So that's not the same thing. But they clearly see what he can be. And so I think like, Stephen, all the things you're saying and talking about like Mike Hall, 
maybe a year from now we'll be talking about Tyreek Williams and like even it's like a Tyreek Williams like big freshman year, not a sophomore slump, but like a sophomore realization that feeds. And then by the way, who's here for like my call and Tyreek Williams both peaking together in year three on the interior of the defensive line with JT Tuimoloau and Jack Sawyer outside of them? Anybody here for that? So that could be very pretty good line. Pretty good defensive line, if I say so much. We're kind of now waiting on it's all the focus of why isn't this guy getting home now that JT's done? It just means that now we're going to ask Jack all these questions until he gets home. But also, his has the caveat of, dude, I'm also learning a whole new position. Yeah. So we're not really sure how many sacks Jack is actually supposed to get when he's playing that position right now. But it is going to be interesting the next time we talk to Jack. I'm like, hey, man, do you feel like you've been this close? Do you feel like you've been this close? What's keeping you back? Because JT's done it now. We've seen it from Mike, and we've seen the flashes from Talik. It's kind of now Jack's turn to maybe have his moment in this on center stage now. And then, yeah, then 2023, this gets interesting and gets fun. All right, anything else? Anything else from the Ryan Day Rapid Fire? Anything else from Wednesday night interviews we want to make sure we share with the good folks here on Buckeye Talk? So when asked about Mayan Williams on Tuesday, Ryan Day kind of made this, hey, I've, I've, I've been a little too loose-lipped on injuries, so just wait for the status report. But then today, we saw him after practice Wednesday coming off the field in pads with helmet. Uh, look, his hand was wrapped in some way, like some some tape or bandage situation. Uh, I wasn't right up close on him. Uh, but then today on the radio show, he said, he used the phrase, looking forward to having him back this week. So it to, okay. that to me sounds like Mayan Williams is playing on Saturday, but we'll see. Um, sometimes, again, those things. One of the reasons why he doesn't like to share updates is because sometimes things change. So, uh, But but more optimistic, I'm more optimistic about Mayan Williams being back very quickly than I was after the game or probably even on Tuesday. And and just like, again, because sometimes everybody thinks like Vegas is the expert, there is an over-under on Mayan Williams rushing yards for Saturday. Yes. So he's not like off the board. Mm-hmm. So just note that. And I don't know... I don't know if we ended up writing this. I don't think we talked about it on a pod. Like they are Ohio State's a little peeved about how Mayan Williams got hurt because he got went to the sideline and basically got wrapped up in the chain with the chain gang there. And the chain gang, when you see players coming towards you, you're supposed to because I double checked with Ryan Day. Like I like butted in line in the question asking on Tuesday because he had mentioned it and said that the chain gang didn't drop the chain. And then I said, like, are they supposed to drop the chain? He's like, Yeah, they're supposed to drop the chain, which I thought was true, but I wanted to make I wanted him to say it. They're supposed to drop the chain so that, like, then that big giant orange thing, the 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 down marker, is flat on the ground, and that big long chain, that ten yard chain that measures the first down, is not in danger of like having a player get wrapped up in it. And they didn't do that, and it it that's how he got hurt. So, and and like they noted it, and like someone else had noted it to us before even the news conference on Tuesday. So like Ohio State is like very aware of like that's not cool. And like, if I had squeezed another one, I I would have like, are you guys filing like a complaint with the Big Ten about it or something? But like, even that they mentioned it publicly shows how how unhappy they are with that situation. So that like, they that's not how a player should get hurt. He didn't get a late hit. He didn't bend his knee awkwardly under himself because he just got like wrapped up in a piece of equipment that's supposed to be out of the way. So. Ohio State's got a history with some of this stuff, man. Between that that? and JT Bear, Ohio State's kind of got a history of something because, like, JT Bear getting hurt before the Michigan game because a cameraman's in the way. I mean, get out of the way. I wonder how often these little non football related things where players get hurt happen. 
Yeah, no. If, I mean, I just I think you, when you're running out of bounds, maybe you should just shout, "Get out of the way!" Right, and just to, to tell everybody. But also, like, I'm sure the chain, all the chain gang people in the Big Ten, I'm sure got a note this week, like, mm-hmm. like move. Hey, hey, everybody, great job with the oldest technology known to man. It, it that is medieval. It's like, <laughs> how could we measure ten yards? Well, what if we had a ten yard chain? I mean, seriously, that's like what? What is that? I mean, even how like, do you people like that though. It's like people like put a computer chip in the ball and all that stuff. But like, even if you don't have to put a computer chip in the ball, like a literal chain for real, like that's the best we can do right there in the way on the sideline. Like, why do they have to put it there? Can't you anyway, get out of the way. Everybody get just move. So, okay. So that's very important. It sounds like Mayan Williams could play on Saturday because people certainly are concerned about that. Anything else? We're good on anything else. We'd like to provide the info off the top before we talk about this horrible matchup <laughs> between uh, a good team and an awful team. Mason Arnold's going to be, sounds like the long snapper the rest of the way. Day is not like declared Bradley Robinson out for the season, but he kind of almost did today with whatever injury he had against Iowa, which I don't know. It's not a massive transaction necessarily, but keep it in mind when the guy is hiking the ball in the slop on Saturday. Yeah, no, right. Nobody cares about that until the snap goes six feet over the punter's head and then everybody cares. Right. So good luck to Arnold Mason. It's Arnold Mason. You said, Mason Arnold. Mason Arnold. Uh, <laughs> At least it's easy to pronounce. Arnold. We don't have to be coming back saying, is it yeah. Mason or Mason? <laughs> Mason Arnold. So, uh, I mean, really, like, that's not, that's a thing. I mean, like, it's not like they aren't handing out, like, 10 different scholarships to long snappers. So you become, right. like, you're just kind and, of a guy who's on the team and is happy to be there. And now, guess what? Like, you are now in a position where nobody knows who you are unless you make a colossal mistake. So that is, like, that is not a fun place to be in. And this guy is going to go out and do his very best to do his job. So good luck to him. And listen, every snap that Jesse Mirko, who, again, somewhat new to American football, every snap he has placed down on a field goal of PAT has come from Bradley Robinson for the entirety of his career until Iowa. Every uh, snap back to him uh, in the punting game had come from Robinson. So if if there, if it's going to happen, it's good to have happened now for Ohio state, as opposed to like the week before the Michigan game or whatever. And just acknowledge Bradley Robinson, who's been doing it forever. Great career. Do we have, have mm-hmm. anybody have like a lot of memories of like terrible long snaps for Ohio state in the last couple no, of years? Nope. Anybody? No, very reliable guy. guy. Very reliable guy came back for his sixth year. I think he started at Michigan state. So he's really had a, a wayward career, but um, a guy who took the extra year to come back. I think he's working on his PhD just a, a, a what you want out of a long snapper in a lot of ways. Yeah. So again, only recognized when you mess up and they haven't been recognized, which means he's been doing his job. And so good luck to the new guy too. All right. When we come back, a couple things to talk about with this Ohio State Northwestern matchup specifically before we get to our picks. And we'll just touch briefly on Georgia, Tennessee, because it does affect Ohio State. Next on Buckeye Talk. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. All right, so as we think about this Northwestern game, there's something I want to talk about because I feel like maybe... We did not talk enough about a particular Penn State player before that game. And it's interesting 
how there's something similar happening in the Northwestern game. And the guy that we maybe didn't talk about enough before the Penn State game is Olu Fashanu, who is the left tackle for Penn State, who is some people are projecting as like a top 10 NFL draft pick. And I will tell you that I looked at um, Dane Brugler, who I just think is Dane's from Ohio. He He's worked other places. I knew him back in the day when he was kind of getting started out. And uh, now he's like the draft guy for the athletic. And I, I just think Dane does like an, an excellent job and um, he's on top of stuff. So whenever I reference stuff, I often uh, look at Dane's stuff and his mid season Dane's board, draft board, mid-season draft board. Fashanu was number five overall, like not at tackle, like overall players. He was number five. Will Anderson's number one. He was ahead of C.J. Stroud. Number seven is Peter Skaronsky, who's a left tackle for Northwestern, who Ohio State is facing Saturday. So in consecutive weeks, Ohio State's defense is going against, by this draft board, the best left tackle in the country and then the second best left tackle in the country, both are who are perceived as top 10 NFL draft picks. 11th on Dane's board was Paris. So then Ohio State's left tackle is the 11th best draft prospect, and Dewan Jones was 36th in his top 50 that he did at midseason. So that's the level of, of tackle that we're talking about that Ohio State is going to have to deal with. Looking at PFF grades, pass blocking, Peter Skaronsky for Northwestern has a 93.0 pass block grade that is the best in the Big Ten. Fashanu had an 84.7 as of now, which is third best in the Big Ten as a pass blocking tackle. Dewan is seventh. Paris is ninth. Just in pass blocking grade by PFF among offensive linemen in the Big Ten. Peter Skaronsky, 349 pass blocking snaps has given up four pressures the whole year one sack four pressures in 349 snaps for shanu 281 snaps seven pressures um paris for comparison 238 snaps eight pressures so just as a comparison there and the thing that that i'm trying to get us to eventually is ohio state didn't really do much against Fashanu last week but like it didn't matter because this was when I remember, hey, you guys remember in that game how like it was like a, a close game and then um, JT destroyed the game, right? I remember do not that remember. part where he destroyed the game. Mm-hmm. So JT, he had the one early. So the first tip that JT Tui Molowau had that Zach Harris intercepted, he was over the left tackle on that play. Um, but, but they, they left they Jeff JT unblocked and it was a screen and Fashanu just went to the second level. And ran right past JT, did not even try to block him. The assignment was not for him to block him. So unblocked JT, got in on the quarterback, jumped up and tipped the pass on the screen. So he didn't have to deal with the left tackle there. The second one, um, when JT was had the first pick, he was lined up over the left tackle. Oh, here comes this great matchup. Drops in coverage, doesn't have to deal with the left tackle, picks it off. So the second one didn't have to deal with the left tackle. The third one... Um, this is where he got his his normal sack. He was over the right tackle. And again, I, some of this stuff is like you watch it. This is not to take away from JT. He was over the right tackle. The right tackle blocked down. They left him unblocked. They left JT for the back. And he ate the back alive and sacked Sean Clifford. So he didn't even have to beat the right tackle. The strip sack... He was over the right tackle, and he picked up the right tackle and threw him into the stands like the Hulk and then sacked Sean Clifford and got the – so that was like a, an absolute destruction of not the first-round guy. 
And then the last one, um, he's over the right tackle again. The right tackle tries to chop him and goes low. And JT's like, what is this? And then just jumps up and intercepts it and gets a pick six. So those five gigantic plays for JT, the two times he was over the All-American candidate, he didn't deal with him because they left him unblocked or he dropped in coverage. And then the three times he was over the right tackle, he mostly ate the right tackle for lunch. So the point is this. We maybe did not advise everybody enough last week of like, hey, by the way, they have a tremendous left tackle and their right tackle is not very good. And then what Ohio State did is go out and take advantage of the right tackle. And the fact that the left tackle is awesome, like kind of didn't matter. So, Nathan, that's happening again. And I think like it's not going to matter because um, – you look last week, the Penn State pass blocking grades against Ohio State. Fashanu had an 84.9, no pressures allowed. The right tackle had a 59.9 pass blocking grade, four pressures allowed. So they had one really good tackle, one really bad tackle, and Ohio State destroyed the bad the bad tackle. And that's going to be like another thing here because um, Skaronsky's pass blocking grade is 93.0 at left tackle. It's the best in the Big Ten. The right tackle's pass blocking grade is 69.1. Skaronsky has allowed four pressures. The right tackle has allowed 14 pressures, Nathan. So I want people, I want Ohio State fans to watch this because Skaronsky is the best Northwestern player and it's not even close. And the other thing I want people to have in their head is, is potentially be prepared for Paris Johnson and Dewan Jones to not make first team all Big Ten. Because it just so happens that Penn State and Northwestern both have All-American candidates at left tackle also. And we may be in a world where Paris and Dewan are the two second-team tackles. But Ohio State's facing them in back-to-back weeks. And last week, Nathan, JT still went off. And so I would imagine there are going to be situations where they attack the right side of the Northwestern offensive line, just like they attacked the right side of the Penn State line last week. Yeah, you remind me, there was a video clip somebody had done, a breakdown of, and I think it was the play where you're talking about them destroying, JT destroying the running back, because they were, they had taken it and they would like freeze at like each stage of how he was winning that play, and when he got to going through that guy, (laughs) the caption that came up was, dribbles a guy like he's a basketball Something like that, because they just blasted through him uh, and, and manhandled him so uh, completely. Uh, listen, like the other thing I think that could come up, though, you're right, as far as how Ohio State's going to attack this. But when JT Tuomaloau has games like that, now you start putting yourself in the, do we need to pay extra attention to this guy? It's not so much about what a right tackle is going to do against him head to head. It's like, what, how much more attention do you have to place on him? And what does that open up for other people? That's the chase young ish element that this defense has been hoping to get back from someone for three years now. And if they can start to approach that where teams have to use an extra body because some guy has become so threatening to them, that the rest of this defensive line is talented enough now that they're going to feed off of that. Yeah, I just want to make sure. Penn State's right tackle in that game wasn't their you know, a normal right, starting right tackle. He was hurt, so it's, it's kind of added to that. It's like the guy's not a first-rounder, but also he's not even a starter. So now it makes sense why a five-star dude who might be a dude anyway was able to go that crazy of a dude against them. So maybe that's part of this. Is if Northwestern actually has their normal starting right tackle – I'm nope. not saying that he's going to no, – he's, nope. he's just as bad. He's no, just I mean, as it's bad. Just, it's, I mean, it, that, Northwestern's normal starting right tackle, they have an abnormal starting left tackle. Northwestern, Northwestern has a first-round draft pick at left tackle. The other right tackle, whether he's hurt or a backup or the normal guy, he's a 
typical Northwestern tackle, which means that it's going to be a problem for him. Okay, so, so JT's going to be dealing. With, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, fine. Then that that my point applies to Penn State and not not Notre, not Northwestern. Northwestern is probably going to have a tight end over JT the entire game because if they don't, JT is just going to do some version of what he did last week again. And listen, it's just so so again by PFF grades, Ohio State got twelve pressures last week. This is who they put those pressures on: five on the right tackle, three on the right guard, three on the center, one on the running back, one JT destroyed the running back. So it's just like Penn state had an awesome left tackle who had a great game. And like it, it's, it didn't help. It didn't protect them because Ohio state was able to attack the other side. So I want that. Peter Skaronsky is the real deal. I think sometimes it's like, Hey, Peter Skaronsky, is he as good as Paris? Like he's a real deal. Paris. There's, there's like three first round left tackles in the big 10 this year. When we get to the draft in April, we might have three, Three Big Ten left tackles go in the first 15 picks. So, and that we're getting them all right now. So, just be prepared for that. So, I wanted to point everybody to that when we deal with the Northwestern offensive line. And then I do think the only other Northwestern guy to pay attention to is Ethan Hull, because I think literally he might be the only skill player they have. He is third in the Big Ten in touches. He's a running back. He is third in the Big Ten in touches. First is Chase Brown at Illinois, who has 242 touches already. Because their whole offense is hand yeah. him the ball and it works. So credit mm-hmm. to them. Second is Blake Corum with 187 because he's Blake Corum and Michigan runs it like like crazy. And third is Ethan Hull with 181. But he is eighth in the Big Ten in rushing yards with 579 rushing yards. He is 11th in the Big Ten in receiving yards with 465 receiving yards. So he has more than 450 of each. Nobody else in the Big Ten has more than 250 of each. He is simultaneously, Nathan, he's like low-rent Curtis Samuel. He's their best running back and their best receiver. He is their entire offense. Northwestern's yards per attempt is like six. They do not do anything. They don't have any receivers to throw to. They don't do anything down the field. And there were, Ethan Hull fumbled at the goal line when Northwestern lost to Duke, and then he fumbled again in another game in the fourth quarter. And I said, I think it's just because his arms get tired because they give him the ball like 30 <laughs> times a game because they do not have anybody else to give the ball to. He is a good Big Ten football player. So he's the guy when you're watching Northwestern with the ball, he will be the guy who has the ball all the time. So he's he's a good player, Nathan. He's worth noting. Yeah, and just but just for full context, uh, that receiving total, 213 yards of it came against Duke in one game, 14 catches for 213 yards. So, but he is regularly for a running used, back, but he is regularly used out of the backfield. Like if you take that game away, he's had uh, four more catches in all but two games. He's had a game of eight, a couple games of five. So he will definitely be targeted out of the backfield multiple times on Saturday. Something for um, a, a little wrinkle for the safeties and linebackers to be aware of. And Brendan Sullivan will be the quarterback for Northwestern. This will be his third start. They went away from Ryan Helensky, who was like good in the opener against Nebraska and then was not good after that. And so this kid, he's a little more mobile than Helensky. He'll he's run for like 50 yards in one of his starts. So he he might do a little bit with his feet, but like this is this is um what's the word? A bad team. So they beat Nebraska in the opener. It's their only win. They were competitive in some other games early, and then they've just become less and less and less competitive. The last three games for Northwestern, they've had 29 possessions, 13 punts, six turnovers, twice losing it on downs, six touchdowns, and two field goal attempts. So 72% of their possess- uh, possessions in their last three games were 
punts, turnovers, or losing it on down. So, like, just so everyone's clear, Ohio State is going to destroy Northwestern. It's just, and the weather is going to determine, like, how and how much. So, anybody else want to say anything about Northwestern? That's probably too much Northwestern breakdown. I think it might have been the first time we have written or said the word Northwestern this week, other than when Nathan does his thing at the beginning of the week of five, like five opponent players to watch. That's just where they are. Oh, here's the other thing. Because I was on the Northwestern podcast this week. They have, a, they have a Bill Davis situation, which I didn't re- quite realize was a situation. Jim O'Neill is their defensive coordinator. Mike Hankwitz was like a really good defensive coordinator there for like decades. And Jim O'Neill is in his second year as the coordinator. And I guess he's like super good friends with Pat Fitzgerald and everybody, all the Northwestern fans want him fired because the, the defense has been really bad the last two years since Hankwitz retired. And they're worried that like he's going to hang around longer than he should because he and Fitz are such good friends. Hmm. So it is a Bill. I don't know if he was the best man in his wedding, but it is a, it is a Bill Davis situation, but worse because he's not just a position coach. He's a coordinator. So the deal with Northwestern <laughs> is their, their, def- their defense has taken a huge step back the last two years, losing that coordinator and their quarterback play has not been good. So like Peyton Ramsey elevated that in 20, right? And they just, when they don't have a quarterback and they don't have, don't nod your head. Peyton Ramsey was awesome for them in 2020. He like awesome? made all that possible. He was awesome. For Northwestern standard, he, if they don't have Peyton Ramsey in 2020, there's no way they make the Big Ten title game. That's exactly what Northwestern wants at quarterback. He was really good for them. He was a, he was a uh, high level Northwestern quarterback that year. I think Northwestern made the Big Ten championship game that year because they had very good COVID practices that kept their whole team healthy all year. Peyton so Ramsey two was things can, two things can be true. Peyton Ramsey was ninth in the Big Ten in QB rating in 2020. He was he was a competent Big Ten quarterback, which like they that's not when they don't and they often don't have that. They have to have a competent Big Ten quarterback to have any chance. And I thought that okay, the portal they'll work it. Fitz would say like no, because Helinski was a portal guy. He was a top 50 national recruit in South Carolina. And then they he, they got him. They got Hunter Johnson from Clemson, who did nothing. Um, and it was like, oh, Northwestern in the portal. And Fitz is like, no, 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 no. We don't want to do this. And it's like, well, why not? He was sort of pushing back on the idea of like that Northwestern was going to be a haven for portal quarterbacks. But it, that's exactly the kind of program that should be a haven for portal quarterbacks. Like, go be a highly rated, a decently highly rated recruit. Go somewhere else. Don't get to start or start and lose your job and then come to Northwestern. But it didn't work with Helinski. He was not very good. And now this Brendan Sullivan guy's in there. So anyway, that's too much Northwestern. That is, this is going to be a shellacking of the highest level. So I'm going to call it on the Northwestern discussion. And after the break, we'll come back and make our picks. All right, before we do, Georgia, Tennessee matters, Stephen. Like it matters for Ohio State fans in a couple different ways. One, because Northwestern Ohio, Ohio State fans are going to watch the Ohio State game on Saturday and be like, ugh. I mean, I like Ohio State, but that was ugh. And then you'll get to go watch Georgia-Tennessee and say, ooh, good, good football. But there's a Heisman discussion here. And certainly, like, who wins that game matters to everybody in college football because the winner of Georgia-Tennessee is going to be number one next week in the playoff rankings. And they are going to be the favorite to be the number one seed. They're going to be on track to make the SEC title game and be the favorite to be the number one seed. And that affects everything. And then the loser of that game, if that loser wins out and is 11-1, and will be a very strong contender to make the playoff anyway. So these are two teams, Stephen. It's possible. And again, I think the committee will do some shenanigans, whatever they have to do to not have an SEC-SEC matchup in the semifinals if both teams make it. Ohio State on the path to a national championship might have to beat both these teams that are playing each other on Saturday. So, and by the way, 
you've been tracking like sort of like the CJ Heisman candidacy. It might be too far to say, because I have always said like, you know, conference championship weekend is the final stage and you got to be there and that really matters. If Hendon Hooker beat Alabama and then also is really good and beats Georgia, he won't have it locked up, but that gets really rough for CJ in the Heisman race, does it not? CJ needs Michigan to keep winning. That's what this ball is. Regardless of who wins or loses in this Tennessee-Georgia game, just because the entire, the first six weeks of the season were, oh, CJ's leading the Heisman Trophy race. No one's even bothering him. And then Hendon Hooker invited Alabama in to Tennessee and then sent them home with an L. And all of a sudden it's like, oh, hello, this is now a race situation. And for weeks we were – Hendon Hooker had a moment that C.J. Stroud just like didn't have until he went to Penn State and 926 left to go. He's leading that drive. And so now ball's back in Hendon Hooker's court, but it's just in time for this Georgia game where that's also on the road in Athens where you're right. Whoever wins that game is going to be number one in the college football playoff rankings anyway, so it almost didn't matter who was number one in these in these initial rankings because we, we all pretty much knew that. If Hendon Hooker goes out there and does what Hendon Hooker's been doing all year, then the ball's right back in C.J. Stroud's court where it's like, okay, Michigan's coming at the end of the month. If they're undefeated, that's at worst a 2-3 game. It's not going to be 1-2 because Tennessee just holds on to number one that whole time, but it'll be a 2-3 game between those four chances to go to the Big Ten Championship game and that C.J.'s chance to kind of even things back up. But this is Hendon Hooker's kind of last regular season case to be made here because the schedule gets easy after this while CJ's got to wait a couple more weeks for his last one but also he really needs Michigan to get through the rest of this season especially that Illinois game the week before the Ohio State Michigan game when Doug you've pointed out many times how important it is to be playing on conference championship weekend and if Tennessee beats Georgia this week its chances of playing on championship weekend go up dramatically they, they yes. still have some okay teams on the schedule, but not, no, certainly nothing the, the caliber of Georgia. So if if just getting to conference championship weekend and then playing Alabama, LSU, whatever, even if you lose and have a great game, you're better off probably than if you don't play at all on conference championship weekend. So th- th- which is obviously that hurt CJ last year, like losing the Michigan game regardless hurt, but it knocks you out of being playing that last weekend. And then Bryson goes out and beats Georgia and uh, it's all said and done. So that that that's an important wrinkle here too is how much the the game how much how much ensuring or helping ensure that game by beating Tennessee by beating Georgia would mean for Tennessee for Hendon Hooker anyway. That line opened at twelve and a half. It, it's down to eight and a half. Down to eight even now. So that's that's moving. Tennessee is the underdog. So it started off Georgia favored by 12 and a half over the team that's number one in the playoff rankings, and it's moved that far. That's a pretty big move for a line. Uh, I picked Tennessee. I do think Georgia, Nolan Smith, one of their best um, outside linebackers, is out for the year with a pec injury. Tennessee in the Alabama game was missing a couple guys, at least in the secondary that Bryce Young exploited. At least, a, at least one of those is back. Um, Cedric Tillman, who's their best receiver of a really good receiving group, is back healthy, which really matters for them. And uh, they chuck it around, but they also run it. They run it a lot. They throw to tight ends. Again, it's like a it's a it's a aired out kind of offense. But Josh Heupel's you know implemented some RPOs and some tight end throws and some it's a really well designed offense. And again, the offensive coordinator there is a guy who was at Ohio State as like a grad assistant or quality control guy, like in two thousand six. So Georgia looked great, and then has suddenly looked, suddenly looked vulnerable. I just actually think Tennessee might be better than Georgia. So. 
Like, and if you get in a position where if Georgia's defense doesn't shut Tennessee down and now it's like Stetson Bennett has to keep up with Hendon Hooker, that's a tall order. So it's, but it's interesting for Ohio State fans for two reasons, because one is, okay, Ohio State has to play Georgia. This is the defense that everybody has wanted to see this Ohio State offense against for two years. And so potentially you would get that in the playoff. And if it's Tennessee, now it's go time. Now it's the two best offenses in the country. And now you get to see Jim Knowles, as Jim Knowles said, Jim Knowles, the Jim Knowles defense was built to stop this Big 12 style of offense that that Tennessee has adapted and modified. But like, who wants to see that? Who wants to see Hooker versus Stroud on the field and those receivers versus the Ohio State receivers on the field and Jim Knowles trying to dial it up to stop that? Like, sign me up. Sign me up for both those games. It's I think it would be a tough test, Nathan. Nothing guaranteed. If Ohio State's got to play Georgia and Tennessee to win the national title, nothing guaranteed. Oh, mama. I'm here to watch both those. One thing I want to point out, and this is just one metric. I think if if I were picking this game, which I don't have to do, I definitely would have taken Tennessee plus 12 and a half or whatever that was. I think I might still take them at plus eight, but I think I would take Georgia to win the game. And one thing I just want to throw out there, football outsiders who we've cited a lot of times, offensive in offensive efficiency rankings, Ohio State's number one at 2.25 and Tennessee's number two, but all the way down at 1.67, they're virtually tied with Georgia in terms of offensive efficiency, 1.64. And that's something I have my eye on this Saturday because when these teams are, yes, they have some common opponents, but I want to see what these two teams look like on the field together and and how that matches up because I still think, I think Georgia Georgia's offense is still not given the credit it deserves. And people are really excited about what Tennessee did defensively against Kentucky last week. But Kentucky is like, fine. They're not, it wasn't like some kind of great offense that they shut down last week. I know Will Levis is good, et cetera. But I I, I think Will Levis is a a first round quarterback. Right. That's why people are excited about Kentucky. Right. But I'm talking about just the whole, the whole package together. I think Georgia's better than that. And I think Georgia might be able to exploit that against this Tennessee defense. Yeah, I I think I agree with that. Tennessee, even the th- it's kind of the same thing with Alabama. It's the, that was the Bryce Young show, and Kentucky was the Will Levis show, but they didn't really have necessarily the weapons around them that matched what their talent was. And so this is going to be the first chance that we get to see Tennessee's defense play somebody who, I mean, Stetson Bennett's a pretty solid quarterback at this point, but also George has got some weapons, whether it's in the run game or it's Brock Bowers and the million and one ways they get him the ball. So it's going to be. I think Tennessee wins this thing if it's a shootout. But it's it gets interesting to me if Georgia makes this a twenty-one to seventeen game with six minutes left in the fourth quarter. The question is, can you hold can you hold Tennessee to twenty-one or seventeen into the middle of the fourth quarter? I, I don't, I don't know. If I mean, this can. is the de- this is the def- if if any defense is going to do it, just given off like what they've done in the past, Georgia's probably the one that we would expect to be able to do that. Their secondary is pretty good. Georgia's secondary is pretty good. The Nolan Smith injury is, is a big deal. Yeah. So they they aren't as deep as they were uh, a year ago for sure. But I'm, I'm again like everybody like everybody else in college football, super looking forward to this. And also, thank you, gentlemen, for the respect. So let's make our picks. This is it's going to rain and it's going to be windy and it's going to be weird. Um, we all got nailed last week on the backdoor cover by Penn State. Ohio State was cool. favored by fourteen and a half. Ohio State winds up winning by thirteen. But it was like, so we all had Ohio State minus 14 and a half, and Ohio State takes the field losing, 
with nine and a half minutes left. And it's like, well, this is very interesting. I certainly think we're all going to lose our bet. Then Ohio State scores 28 points in nine minutes. And it's like, hey, look at us. How lucky. And then Penn State gets that last touchdown for like no reason. Brutal. But we and called it. And all of a sudden it. it's 44-31. We called it. We have witnesses. We literally said to each other like, oh, well, JT Tumalau is just going to get Tumalau yeah. is going to get a pick six or something here. And it was like seconds later he got six like there are witnesses in the press box that heard that so um uh, maybe we should be going maybe we should be doing more gambling i don't know not yeah but not score gambling more just predict the next play gambling yeah yeah um jack sawyer will recover a fumble for a 45 yard touchdown oh when i was covering like a 95 loss major league baseball team we used to do that like in september in the press box we'd be like I'll bet a dollar this guy, next guy hits a single and somebody else would be like, I'll take ground out to second. And it's like, please save us. We there's like September baseball. When the team you are covering is 23 games out of first place. You got to find a way to get through that. So we could do that. We don't want to talk too much gambling for the year. Our combined records over unders and picking I'm nine and seven. You guys are both seven and nine. Not terrible. Like, well, it, we've, certainly worse i'm much worse on my national picks on the on the betting the buckeyes show so um for this game again the line has moved a lot it opened the total opened at 61 and a half it's down to 55 and a half and i almost this almost seems wrong to me but looking at vegas insider it's what it says meanwhile the the spread opened at 30 and a half that Ohio State was favored, and it's now 38 and a half. So the total has dropped six points, but Ohio State is now favored by eight more, Nathan, which is like, in some ways, it might be contrary movement that now you're expecting Ohio State to win by more while the overall score will be lower. But I also think it's possibly just an acknowledgement of how terrible Northwestern is. That's a lot of movement, though, Nathan. Yeah, I'm, that must have been a very early line. I, uh, by the time I saw it at Caesars, I think it was closer to like 36 and a half, something like that, But uh, on Sunday when they were first coming out. But, I mean, look, it's it's going to be bad. So let's make our picks for Ohio State Northwestern. Noon on Saturday in Evanston. Stephen Means, we will start with you again. The over-under is 55 and a half. Ohio State is favored by 38 and a half. Stephen, what you got? Yeah, I don't care about the rain and the wind. Ohio State fifty-five to six. Well, but, wait, 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 wait! Why don't you care about the rain and the wind at all? You don't think it's going to affect Ohio State's total number of points they score at all? No, okay, because of the opponent. It's literally just because of who the opponent is. No, I, I don't think that at all. I think they're still going to score points. They might not. Th- it might not all be a aerodynamic display for CJ Stroud the may- way I maybe would have picked if it wasn't raining, but I still think they're going to score points. I think they're going to be able to I think they're going to establish the run early just because it's Northwestern and they can and they're still going to put up points in this game. 55 to 6 Ohio State wins. So you're given the 38 and a half and you are taking the over with a total of 61. Nathan, what you got? I keep talking myself down a little bit on this just because of the conditions. I'm going to say uh, 48 to 3. I don't want that to be mistaken as like respect for what Northwestern is is doing this year cuz they're 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 not good. And uh, they just lost to Iowa 33 to 13, a team that obviously got blown off the Double field by four. Ohio State 2 weeks before. So it's I I hear what Steven is saying though at the end of the day that this talent disparity is 
so significant. And I just think that Ohio State, it's it's happening. This is hitting at a week. It's interesting that a week, if the if the weather conditions are bad and they have to rely on the run game, it's hitting at a week where I think this is a motivated team to go out and 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 impose itself in the run game. It's just it, it's an interesting intersection of of things there and they'll go out and do that regardless of what mine williams is is able to play on saturday or not this could be a big game for dallin hayden and maybe for chip Trainum too so 48 to 3 you are taking ohio state minus 38 and a half and you are under the 55 and a half point total and i love this under i don't think northwestern's going to score so i've got 41 to nothing I definitely think there's a defensive touchdown potentially in there for Ohio State. I do think I've just seen wind screw stuff up. And so I do think the wind is is the significant thing. And then if it's sloppy, like just rain on a grass field is so much different than rain on turf. I just think it could be a pain. And so especially and especially if Ohio State does get to the backup somewhat decently early, I definitely think it's possible that whenever Kyle McCord and the second team offense comes in, like they don't score. It might be 41 nothing at the end of the third quarter, and then just it's 15 minutes of, of slop because, yeah, maybe C.J. Stroud and Marvin Harrison Jr. and Emeka Buka and Mayan Williams and Trevor Henderson can handle weird conditions. I just think it's harder for backup. So I don't I don't know how Northwestern scores. Like I, like, I don't know how they score. I don't, I, I don't know how they score. I don't know how they score. How would they score? How will they score? Ethan Hull, Ethan Hull might need an arm transplant by the middle of the third quarter. Ethan Hull, 26 carries for 61 yards, nine receptions for 32 yards. He is accounting for 85% of the Northwestern offense, and then his arms fall off. So um, if this was perfect weather, um, I would probably be willing to get up into the 50s, but I just think it's enough. I, I think uh, when we do our Buckeye Talk tokens for this, I, I'm, I think I'm going to hammer this under. So, um, you know, maybe it'll get a bit, a little bit goofy, uh, and defensive scores, if they have like three pick sixes, then all of a sudden that could hit it too. But, uh, I just think it's going to be a monstrosity. I think it's going to like set college football back because, um, Northwestern is falling apart. So those are our picks for Ohio state Northwestern on Saturday. And I think we're done, right? Is there anything else to say about this? We, if we had a gambling pod, we might've not got a full hour here. We gave you two hours plus on the rapid fire. So we wanted to give you a nice hour here because it's the only pod here on Friday. But frankly, this game itself doesn't deserve this much talk. So have a lovely trip. If you're going, go to Chicago, go to the Art Institute, go walk around downtown, get some Chicago-style pizza. Evanston is a, is a fine college town. Go walk around there. It's a lovely campus. But do not expect your uh, football appetite to be satiated by what happens on that field uh, at noon. And then make sure you're in a sports bar for Georgia-Tennessee. Yeah, um, I just want to say this just because I was in Chicago a couple of weeks ago. I think people should just go to the ice cream museum. Oh. It's a really fun place. Do you get samples? Yes, all over the place. Sherbert's, ice creams, it's awesome. Uh, they all, they it- had a hot dog flavored Ooh. ice cream. And it legitimately, t- they give it to you like it's a hot dog too. Like it's in a bun. They put the ice cream in a little like sugar bun for you. And it. And, it and does then it taste tastes like a hot dog. It, it tastes. It's awful. Why is that better than just eating a hot dog? <laughs> it's, it's awful. Why is that better than just eating a hot dog? I wasn't. I was. I was not saying this like I was excited about it. It was awful. It was a warning. I mean, sometimes yes. in life you've got to try the hot dog ice cream. 
Yeah, like, yeah. Why, we tried it. Like, why not? You know, we're in here, so it's like, all right, cool. Let, let me try this hot dog ice cream. And it was like, I shouldn't have tried the hot dog ice cream. <laughs> it's terrible. Uh, could be the best part of your trip to Chicago if you guys are going. All right, we will all be there. We'll have a post game pod on Saturday. Readcleveland.com slash OSU. Some good stories up there. And try the text at 614 350 3315. For Stephen Means and for Nathan Baird, I am Doug Maurice, and that was. Buckeye Talk.